Welcome to the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. I'm Paul Botts, the founder and CEO of Good Leadership, an executive coaching firm headquartered in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This morning, we produced a virtual broadcast of the Good Leadership Breakfast Series, a leadership development event now that's in its 12th year programming. Today was our 92nd episode. The pandemic forced us out of a ballroom with 200 people and into a TV studio, and we're finding a way to make it fun. Because we're broadcasting, we had guests from all across the country, and many people who are new to the Good Leadership Breakfast. Our mission is to spread goodness through good leaders because we've proven goodness pays. Goodness is when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. Our niche in the coaching industry is focusing on the idea good leadership is a team sport because we all know when the team at the top is not aligned, everyone suffers. Today's podcast expands on the conversation we shared with Deshaun Drew, president of Minnesota Public Radio. Our theme is thriving together. Let's meet our speaker for today. Hey, Deshaun, would you please tell us the one-minute story about NPR? Sure thing. So NPR, Minnesota Public Radio, was founded 54 years ago up on St. John University. St. John University's campus as a music station. Over the years, we've expanded to include a really well-regarded uh, news uh, outlet, NPR News, as well as an, a sort of modern, hip music station called The Current. Um, all three stations are, are broadcast over the air here in our market, but they also stream not just their main channels, but additional uh, streams that provide a wider range of services um, in terms of the kinds of music and information people are seeking at any particular time of the day. And we do events out in community, concerts, and, and other kinds of things that, that bring people together. We spread joy. Well, that sounds like a busy job. So uh, you also shared a little bit about what you do outside of work for fun to stay positive and to recharge. Can you tell us a little about that again? Sure thing. I love to bike. It's my probably most common form of exercise, especially um, on beautiful days, mm -hmm. which we have mostly beautiful days here in Minnesota. I don't bike in the heart of winter. Uh, I read a fair amount, um, and I enjoy time with family and friends. Sometimes, you know, sitting around doing nothing, sometimes watching a game, sometimes going to a game. I was just at the, uh, the Twins uh, over, the, over the weekend, Twins game over the weekend. I try and get out and play when I'm not at work. Mm -hmm. So uh, now's a good time for us to just jump to the audio from the breakfast this morning. And now it's time to hear more from Deshaun Drew. So Deshaun, when you and I first met, you told me that uh, you grew up in New York City and maybe you didn't quite understand the Minnesota nice thing quite so much. So, so what were two or three of your pivot points from New York City to get to leading MPR here in the, in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul? I mean, the first one was just being willing to go someplace new and, and not foreign, but very different. Mm -hmm. um, I was just excited. You know, I was in grad school at Northwestern in journalism school, and I just wanted to get to a place where I could learn how to be a better reporter. Mm -hmm. And the Star Trooper gave me an, an opportunity to be a summer intern, and I leapt at it. And then I figured oh, I can do 10 weeks anywhere. And um, it's been like more than 25 years, right? Uh -huh. So just being open to um, what's possible when you, when you take the leap. The, the second uh, sort of pivot point was I actually left the Star Tribune and went to the Dallas Morning News after a few years mm -hmm. and got recruited back to the Star Tribune into a leadership role. And was coming back initially um, as a reporter, mm -hmm. but the, the deal I cut with Tim McGuire, who was the editor of the paper at the time, was that he wanted me to become a leader in the organization. Okay. That was his goal. It wasn't mine initially, to be okay. frank. But I, I trusted in him enough and believed in, in myself enough that I'd be able to kind of 
make that leap too. Hmm. It wasn't what drew me to journalism. I actually wanted to be a reporter my entire life, but as I got more invested in sort of the health of the organization and understood what was possible for me and, and, and for the organization and community through me, I got more excited about the possibilities. Mm -hmm. The third was that jump um, six, and, six and a half years ago now to the Bush Foundation. Uh, I had a chance to work uh, with some really talented uh, community-focused people and do grant making. Mm -hmm. And I moved differently across the region than I had as a reporter, as a journalist, and learned just a ton about um, other parts of the state, met a lot of other leaders across the state, uh -huh. um, really broadened my understanding of what this place is and really deepened my own um, skill when it came to working across difference and um, my own appreciation for um, what equity looks like uh -huh. in, in other settings. And, and so when the NPR job came up, um, for me it was this great combination of media, and still what drives me is helping people yep. understand the world around them, but also um, this, this sense of what we can do in community, for community, with community. And it was a good sort of, for me, a thread of the leadership skills I'd built, the network I had built, and this sort of sense of what Minnesota could be if we could help us see each other more clearly. Yeah. Well, it, one of the things that's common throughout this history of the breakfast is no one's ever sat in that chair and said, oh, it was a straight line. I wanted this job when I was a kid. Yeah, and so there's always, it's always a curvy path. Um, and on that path, you know, leadership, like, like anything else, is all about context. And so you know, we've discovered in our research today that, that part of that context is this thing that we call the dark noise. We're kind of overwhelmed by just this polarized dialogue that's happening in the media, and it's driven largely because people are telling us through research, mainly the Pew Research Organization, mm -hmm that Americans in particular are losing trust in the four major institutions that used to knit us together. That's government, big business, organized religion, and the media. Yep. So you guys are the media and a little bit of government. And so how are you rebuilding trust in NPR in this context? Yeah, we're trying to give people a peek behind the curtain just so they can understand how the news and information we provide, how it comes together. You know, it's what you hear on NPR News, what you find on our website. Uh, it, it is not coming from somebody sitting in their shorts in the basement making stuff up. Yeah. It might be in their shorts in the basement because mm -hmm. everybody's working home because yeah, of the pandemic, right. but mm -hmm. they're working diligently to, to get it right, mm -hmm. to uh, provide context. They've got a team of editors, producers, and other ser serious, skilled, dedicated mm -hmm. journalists working with them to make sure that what we're producing is accurate, is balanced, is thoughtful. And the other, I think, important dimension is you're not gonna get anything that's complicated, you're not gonna get all in any one story. Mm -hmm. So really being thoughtful about your coverage plans so mm -hmm. that you can have different perspectives and different dimensions of a story covered over time. We're really committed to doing that. Well, so know your audience is kind of an axiom in business, but you are actually have an audience. Right. And so I'm, I'm really curious about this, uh, as the society is so polarized left and right, um, you know, how are you guys going about audience development in that sort of the, in that polarization? Well, part of it is is certainly we, we have an audience insights team, which trying to understand what people value, what they mm -hmm. want to know, and you know, we don't have any expectation that every single person who comes to us is going to like everything they hear. Sometimes you don't like the opinion of someone who's just expressing their own thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. But we definitely try to create space where lots of different kinds of people feel like they're perspectives are being represented fairly, accurately, mm -hmm. and we definitely try to add the kind of context that gives people who maybe don't have that experience themselves mm -hmm. deeper appreciation for the stories of other people mm -hmm. and a better sense of how we got to now. Well, and there certainly is a lot of uh, 
vibrant things on either side of the spectrum these days to report on, and so you, you don't have to go looking for stories all that often these days, right? No, there's a lot. So yeah. If anything, it's like, you know, of, of the many, many things, you know, the, the challenge is what's the most important thing, right, and how to get it right in the sense of how to tell in ways that are going to help people better understand mm -hmm. how we got to now. And I think a big part of it is like, you know, the sense of agency that we should all mm -hmm. get if we're really engaged in in staying on top of things. Yeah. So when we talk about goodness, you saw in the video, and we've talked about this a number of times, goodness around here is about thriving together. Mm -hmm. And when you think about your team, what are some of the core expectations that you have for that team to create business results you know, together? And sort of where did you learn that style? Yeah, for me, my focus in, with the team is many of them, to be frank, have expertise and skills and, and history that I don't have. So my goal isn't to have all the answers when I sit down with them. It's to make sure we're having the best conversations we can have. Are we, are we identifying opportunities and challenges? Are we invested in each other's success? Mm -hmm. It's a shared success model, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to care about you hitting your numbers, mm -hmm. trusting you care about me hitting my mm -hmm. numbers. Mm -hmm. And when problems bubble up, I need to see you as someone who's going to help me figure it out, mm -hmm. right? And that's the culture I'm mm -hmm. driving at NPR. Like well, we need to be in it together. You mentioned one of our conversations that the, the guy who runs the current radio yeah. station reports up to you. So yep. what can you just help us understand what some of the different kind of channels are that are a part of your team? Sure, it's, it's pretty broad. So there's NPR News, there's a current, which is you know an alternative um, sort of you know, music station. I see it alternative in the sense that it's not, it's not commercial, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's, we're all public media, so mm -hmm. it's about music exploration across a wide dimension, wide dimension of taste within music. Uh, it's the classical station as mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. your classical NPR. And then we do events. And we have uh, members. Mm -hmm. uh, I imagine some of the folks watching there are members yep. of NPR. Uh -huh. We have someone who manages that. We have mm -hmm. underwriting, which is sort of like our form of advertising, yeah, sure. so revenue, right? Yep. And we have, um, you know, folks focused on everything from finance to HR to on and on and on and on, mm -hmm. right? We've got a lot of moving pieces. We have a special initiative called Little Moments Count that's focused on early uh, childhood development and uh -huh. brain development, So, it, which feels like an odd thing, but mm -hmm. it's, it's another form of community service. Mm -hmm. So when we're sitting down to figure out, you know, how to, how to get from where we are as an organization to where we want to be. Everyone's invested in how we're growing and serving and, and understanding as part of that our audiences, mm -hmm. right? Both the people we have and the people we're hoping to serve. And we've got to, mm -hmm. the only we're going to serve them is to be of more interest and be more relevant to them. So a lot of our time is spent trying to understand how to do what we're doing mm -hmm. in a way that's going to pull more people in. Well, that's a steep learning curve to learn all those different things coming into it mainly as a reporter. Obviously, you've got lots of life experiences. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, teams. Mm -hmm. So at Good Leadership, we, uh, we have a team model that we call epoxy theory. And epoxy is pretty easy to understand. It's two chemicals that do nothing by themselves until you put them together. Right. And the way we think about it is that one chemical is this thing we call relationship capital. And then the other one is structural integrity. And teams need both. And so with your permission, we interviewed a couple of people who report to you and just asked them to talk about your style and how you go about things. And they told us, while you're a very personable guy and easy to get along with, that your style really is structural in terms of how you think about leading teams. So I'm curious now for you to describe for us, you know, how do you, how do you apply that structural mindset to make sure your team is prepared and doing what they say they're going to do? Some of it's about being consistent. So we meet um, as a team on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And then I have one-on-ones with my, my direct reports at least every other week. The one-on-ones are set every other week. And if they need additional time, then we can schedule that too. 
in those meetings, you know, some time spent catching up, you know, how the kids kind of stuff. Yeah, but, sure. but most of it is going to be focused on how are we coming on X, Y, or Z projects. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some of that is, is specific just to their team, and some of that's specific to our broader goals as our shared goals, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the time we spend this kind of a rotation. We do a, a round robin once a month so everybody has a chance to kind of speak into the room what the big things coming are. Mm -hmm. We have folks go through and do presentations on projects that they're working on that okay. their colleagues mm -hmm. need to know about. Mm -hmm. We go through and we have folks from other, other parts of the org that aren't part of my team come in and present on things we need to know about. And we spend time on, on strategic planning at key points in the year and then updates for how those are going. And a lot of that work actually happens outside of that team meeting because mm -hmm. different subgroups are working on it. But a lot of it is about, you know, what's the information we need to share and, and what are the problems bubbling up, what are the opportunities bubbling up that we should be talking about, mm -hmm. who in this room would benefit from and contribute to this conversation. So there's a lot of planning that goes into how, you know, what gets on the agenda and how the team's going to cover those things? Definitely. And the agendas go out, oftentimes they go out with a, a few ideas and yep. then people add to them, right? So it's, it's meant to be, it's not just me driving yep. in that regard. I don't, I'm not the only one who has ownership of what we're gonna yep. talk about. I really try to create an environment where everybody feels a sense of ownership uh -huh. in a good way um, for what we're gonna do with our time together. Mm -hmm. So who's the arbitrary? What gets on the agenda and who doesn't? In the end, I guess it's me. Okay. Uh, but uh, I think if you were to ask my folks, they would tell you that if, if they have something they want on the agenda, we find a way to get it. And if not that week, then maybe the next week. But it, it's, it's our agenda. Homer just has to type it up. Um, so this is one of my favorite parts of what we're doing these days. And this is about the idea of success habits. So part of our mission is to pass on success habits to aspiring leaders. And the way we think about a success habit is something that you've learned to do over and over and over again because it really works. And I'm particularly interested in um, why you do these success habits, and then a little bit of the how, because we're going to capture this mm -hmm. and you know distribute it through our client base. I'll write about it next week, and everybody that's listening can get that as well. Um, we interviewed a couple of your people, and they they identified three success habits that they really admire and how you operate. And there's, these are the kind of things that they said if they had to jump up to the next level tomorrow, they would use these techniques because they think they really work. So the first one they talked about was your bi-weekly meetings. You have a very structured agenda, and it's organized around vision and goals. So uh, tell us, why, why do you think that's important, and then exactly how do you do that? So a couple of ways. One is, you know, we have an annual setting of these goals, so everybody knows what they are. They're written down, they're agreed upon. So I actually have that at the top of the file that I'm sitting with. So when, when I'm meeting with folks, whether it's in person or virtually, mm -hmm. I usually have my, my iPad open and I have a file open and it's it's the file for Paul. And I, within that I've got Very Paul's, structural, <laughs> it's structured. Yep, yep, I've right. got, you know, Paul's responsibilities and I'm, I'm, I'm it's shared, right? Mm -hmm. I've got those responsibilities too. So yep. it's making sure we're talking about that. I've also got within that same file, anything that's popped up in the preceding days that I wanted to make sure I was asking you or telling you about mm -hmm. so that I didn't have a miss, an opportunity to sort of make sure we're syncing. So mm -hmm. I, I actually, throughout the week, I'm dropping into the various files from my team members mm -hmm. and adding notes, mm -hmm. things I have to make sure we're talking about before our time ends, because it goes quickly. Um, and I just think it's the best way to make sure you don't forget to do the main thing. Yeah, good. Well, that seems awfully simple, but we know from our experience as coaches that that doesn't happen nearly as often as you might think. So that's number one. The se second success habit, I think, is, is really, really important, and that is that you use an outside-in stakeholder perspective to measure the success of the team. So let's talk about why you think that's important and, and how you do it, how you go about it. Yeah, when we're 
we don't exist for our own self-actualization. We're there to serve the community. It's mm -hmm. public media. So, mm -hmm. you know, we've got to be focused on are we creating content experiences that the community values and mm -hmm. that they will grow from? And there are ways to measure that. Are, are people tuning in, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Or are they tuning away, right? Are they becoming members, right? Are they supporting us financially to help us continue doing this work? Mm -hmm. That's one more gauge of whether mm -hmm. what we're doing is resonating with them, right? Mm -hmm. Are those numbers increasing? Are they becoming sustaining members who say, I, I trust you to do this work in a way that makes me want to give you, you know, 10 bucks a month forever, or mm -hmm. 50 bucks a month forever. Mm -hmm. those, those are other important gauges. Are we getting underwriting, right, mm -hmm. to support it? So either we're doing work that's resonating with the communities we're trying to serve, mm -hmm. and, and they're indicating it through their engagement with us mm -hmm. and support of the work we're doing, or we're not, mm -hmm. right? If we're having an event, are people showing up to mm -hmm. it? Right? How do we make um, their level of, and we, we even we do polling and, and seek feedback from folks who come to our events to understand what, what worked for them, what could mm -hmm. have been better. We have an audience insights team that does the same thing, both with you know, current listeners and supporters mm -hmm. and people we hope to become listeners and supporters, right? So we spend a lot of time understanding what we're getting right, because you don't want to take that for granted and you don't want to stop doing it, as well as a fair amount of time trying to understand what would make us even more relevant and more valuable to people. Did people resonate with that right away, or was is some people take a while to get on board with that? I think everybody understands at least slices of it, right? Because to some degree, some of the folks are responsible, like their mm -hmm. their success mm -hmm. is, is judged based on you know, one or two of those lanes. Mm -hmm. What I'm really focused on in this role is making everyone see, understand, and care about all of those lanes. Okay. Yeah, good. Well, uh, the last one I'm really uh, pleased to see here because it's something we talk about all the time. So the third success habit is requiring equal time. And so that, the way I think about it is everybody's required to weigh in on team subjects so that we can create a shared sense of responsibility. So how do you think about it? You know, why do you think that's important? And then once again, how do you go about creating that? Yeah, I want everyone to feel invested in all of the work. Mm -hmm. They may not all be experts in it. They don't all have to have, you know, as much time to speak when I each can take five minutes, right? But I want folks to be engaged, to be listening critically, to be thinking about the things that they're hearing that, um, get them excited and to speak that into the room, like this is a great idea, we should run hard at that, right? And I also want them to raise a hand if they're like, this doesn't make sense to me, I'm confused, mm -hmm. or have you thought about this, or tell me more about that, right? There's, there's a way to lean back or lean in mm -hmm. when the discussion's happening. What I want with my teams is everyone to be leaning in, right? And if I've got an idea that you think is, is, is uh, broken, I want you to tell me before I roll it out. Right? Mm -hmm. I don't want you to be like, yeah, I saw that coming six months later. Mm -hmm. So so much of what I'm trying to create is that um, comfort, right? Because that can be a little tense if, I'm, if you say something and, I'm, and I say, I don't think that's going to work, or mm -hmm. have you thought about this in a way that comes across mm -hmm. as critical? Mm -hmm. you, know, you can see that as my being invested in, in mm -hmm. our success and in your success, mm -hmm. you can see it as me trying to undermine you, right? Mm -hmm. And so a big part of the way I try to lead is just saying, you know, when we do this, this isn't about any one person's ego, right? Mm -hmm. It's about us getting it right for our audiences, for our communities. Mm -hmm. And I don't want a single good idea to be left on the table. And I don't want even a question that you have mm -hmm. um, that could help us make something better, you know, sit in your head instead of out on the table. Mm -hmm. And I think, it's, I think it's coming along pretty well, just building that sense of comfort. You know, Minnesotans, we can be afraid of conflict and, 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 and mm -hmm. sometimes indirect in mm -hmm. our conversation. Mm -hmm. And so 
I'm not looking for blood sport, right? But I do want <laughs> folks to be direct and timely with yeah. their thoughts and to accept it as a gift that someone wow. cares enough about the work that you're leading, that you're more responsible for than they are, for them to say something. Mm -hmm. Well, it's very common sense. Equal time helps create shared commitments, and shared commitments help people feel like they win together. But probably the most um, interesting thing from my chair is I've listened to people talk about their success habits for many, many years now, and they all seem very common sense. There's nothing whiz-bang about these ideas, but what's so fascinating is we seldom see other people do the common sense things. So, you know, we're just hoping that we can encourage people who are watching today to sit down and really think about bi-weekly meetings with structured agendas, outside-in metrics, and also requiring equal time around the table. We, we think that will help get better results faster and easier. At this point in the program, we acknowledged our sponsors and raised some money through a program we call the Bucket of Goodwill. It was facilitated by my sidekick at the breakfast, Chloe Radcliffe. She's our co-host, and she came to us from New York City today. She also collected questions from the audience. Let's jump back in here. So, uh, Chloe, uh, please share the first audience question you select for Deshaun. I'm really curious to find out uh, what, you know, what's going on. Yeah, there are a bunch of great ones, but here I'm really excited to start with this one. How do you, I think this is one that we all feel, not, not just people who work in journalism, but how do you maintain positivity in your team when the news cycle can feel so draining? Great question. We talk about it, you know. We can't pretend that we're not feeling these. We live here, yeah. right? So whether it's been the pandemic or the murder of George Floyd or, you know, the fractious election cycle, yeah. we feel all of it. So we do spend some time talking about it. We also know that we're charged with helping our community make sense of it all, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we don't, you know, some of it's heavy, but there's also hope woven into it as well, if we get it right, mm -hmm. you know, for people to understand that even in the darkest of times, um, which we've been through before as a nation, mm -hmm. right? Good people step up and make things better. Mm -hmm. So I think we try to make sure that's part of how we approach our coverage. It certainly, for me, what gets me out of bed in the morning mm -hmm. is knowing that I, with others, get to help shape how this community understands itself and what's possible. Yeah, I can't imagine running the team without talking about how difficult some of these things are. They just seem like they never go away. You, you might want to wake up every day and say, I hope that I don't hear about this again today, but that never happens. No, and no. you got to look for the silver linings too. There are good things and good people yeah. every day. And so I think that's an important that's dimension. Certainly what it. we try to do here. What, what's next, Chloe? Yeah, absolutely. It's in the title. Uh, all right. I'm excited about this next question. Given the social media and screen emphasis in today's culture, how does your enterprise strategize in captivating the listening time of people under 45 years old? We're Give working, or take. <laughs> we're working really hard at it. You know, I think we're not as good at it today as we need to be, and so we're going to be in a year. But you know, there are a lot of ways that people get their information, right, yeah. and their entertainment. And so we're trying to uh, move in those social media channels in ways that make sense in those spaces. So you know, Instagram and TikTok and uh, Facebook and Twitter and on and on, they're all actually very different one from another. So we're working at getting better understanding how to place our content and links back to our website, which is even more content, how to place it in those channels in ways that make sense, that feel like they belong there. Mm -hmm. And so that's skill building mm -hmm. uh, of folks we have. It's hiring people who come in with those skills. Mm -hmm. And it's being in conversation with community, right? Being in those spaces to understand what do they care about? What are they talking about? What's, what are they talking about that we should make sure our audiences are hearing about mm -hmm. too, right? It's, and, and what are we doing on the news or music stations that we should be dropping into those channels to make sure people know we've got something that they would find appealing. 
Yeah, I, I have to admit, I'm kind of longing for the days when I was just my phone and my newspaper and what I was getting in my email. Because it's all, I, I'm trying to keep up, but I'm not. It's a lot. Yeah, it, yeah, it is a lot. So Chloe, uh, what, what, what's your next question? We've got one more and uh, we always end with a fun question. Uh, so Deshaun, you mentioned biking. Uh, what is the farthest you've biked in a day? Jeez. I've gone over 50 miles a couple times, uh, several times actually with friends. I, I just, um, I, as I said, I, I feel like I'm 12 again. Like I'm, I'm just sort of uh, having the best day of the year when I'm out on a trail, especially if there's water around. And, you know, I, I just think we live in such a beautiful state. We got to get out and play in it. It's, it's pretty obvious. I mean, you are an African-American executive running NPR. So how do you focus on equity in this role now? You know, I think it's something that we all have to lean into. Mm -hmm. We all have to get better at recognizing and, 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 and moving in equitable ways, right? So I, I have my own journey. Mm -hmm. I'm also leading in ways that encourage others to, to make sure they're on their journeys, mm -hmm. right? So we spend a lot of time talking about the gaps between, you know, who we are and who we want to be. How do we build our comfort and, and knowledge at working across difference. And different, difference is really broad. It's race, it's ethnicity, mm -hmm. it's religion, it's politics, it's class, mm -hmm. it's you know gender and, and sexual orientation, orientations, a lot of different things. And so I spend a lot of time with my team just talking about how important it is that we get better at recognizing and serving even a wider range of people than we do today. So how do you make a connection then between your team and the communities that you guys are trying to serve? Lots of ways, you know, it's everything from, you know, the DEI book club I started last summer to listening sessions that our community engagement director hosts. We, we regularly are reaching out to community members all across the state to ask them what they think about our coverage, what they think about the music we're playing, what they think about the events we're holding, what they think about us. Mm -hmm. And we use that feedback to think about how we can improve how we show up in community. The programming over the air, the programming that goes out on, on the web, the, the podcasts that we do, like what, what do people care about? And, and the kinds of partnerships we're seeking to form in community are also a big part of how we show up in more equitable ways. Mm -hmm. Well, it never ceases to amaze me when we get these questions from the audience. People are interested in just sort of the simplest things. Can you just tell us a little bit about what your routine is? But how about your workday routine? And then you probably have a different weekend routine. So how do, what's, a, what's a life, a day in the life of Deshaun look like? It's, uh, it's fairly consistent. I'm usually up between 5.30 and 6. Mm -hmm. um, I try to work out at least three days a week um, just to manage my, my stress level and manage my waistline. Mm -hmm. And it, it's me time. I do that at the top of the day. I'm usually in the office uh, by 7.30, with the exception of days where I have to join meetings that are on other people's schedules, like organizational meetings. Sure. I try to block between 7.30 and 9 as me time mm -hmm. to get my work done and organize. I, I'm one of those people who's most um, focused and productive at the top of the day, mm -hmm. and I know that where my energy is, right? Mm -hmm. And so I try to protect that time to make sure I'm, I'm focused on the most important things. And then I have a lot of meetings. I have 10 direct reports. I have a bunch of folks that have dotted lines to me. I have a bunch of peers that I need to connect with regularly. And I have, um, you know, everything from board members to funders to 
other community leaders who I need to be in, in relationship with to do my job mm -hmm. that are on my schedule. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we're in, in mostly in a, in a virtual world right now, yeah, so sure. often they're just stacked one mm -hmm. behind the other. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I run the risk of Zoom fatigue by yeah. the end of the day. Uh -huh. um, but in between those pockets of time, I'm usually just trying to you know, prep for the next thing and making sure I'm passing along information, not being a bottleneck to people who yeah. need, need that information to flow from me to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I can do it, I'll go for a walk uh, over the lunch hour mm -hmm. just to get away from the screen and get some fresh air. Mm -hmm. You try to knock off what time in the day? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, it really varies. I mean, some days I'm done at 4.30 and some days I'm done at 8.30. Yeah. I think I got home last night and it was... Um, more in the uh, 7 45 8 o'clock zone yeah yeah well and it's uh, I, I love the things like the galas and all those dinners and things like they're starting to come back and I'm I'm really missing my time at night right yeah, yeah. right oh, oh well so um, so in serving the greater Twin Cities community and also you know the greater state of Minnesota um, what do you believe is the biggest gap in program that you, programming that you guys are trying to close we are actively working. If you look at the demographic shifts happening, you know, in Minnesota and in Nashville, that matter, we're becoming much more diverse, ethnically and racially diverse, right? And we have people of color who come to us now, but not at the rate that they exist in our yeah. state. Mm -hmm. And so we're thinking really critically about how we develop programming that's going to appeal, you know, to a more diverse audience mm -hmm. and to a younger audience. Mm -hmm. our, our typical typical listener is older, is, is white, is female, is college educated, and we love those people. We need those people. We're not trying to run them off, but we're certainly trying to, to think about everything I said from programming to the partnerships we establish, like how do we draw more people in? How do we show up in authentic ways in spaces that have more people of color and have them recognize that we're here to serve them mm -hmm. too? Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, let's end on a lighter note. So there were people in the audience here in the studio that know that you and your wife are kind of a high-profile couple in the, in the Twin Cities area. So will you tell our audience who is your wife and how do, how do you guys make it work with a dual journalism household? So my wife is Angela Davis. She mm -hmm. actually hosts uh, a 9 a.m. talk show on NPR News. And uh, we've been married for 25, coming up on 26 years. She spent more than 20 years working in local television news mm -hmm. at WCCO and yep. KSTP-TV, so she's fairly well known. And, you know, so for many of the years that we've been married, we were working for competing news organizations. Uh -huh. um, and, and we survived by not, by not talking too much about what we were working on <laughs> on a given day. And, and Angela beat me to NPR. She's been there almost three years now, uh, and I've been there a little under a year and a half. And so I joke about her being the advanced team. And yeah. so, you know, now we actually get to talk, not about all the things. There are things that on, on my plate that I can't discuss with her, but it's actually really nice to be working for the same organization and both be invested in, in its success. So before we say goodbye, we always ask this one question of our speakers. We've been asking this consistently for many, many years now. And that question is, what evidence can you share with us that you know for sure goodness pays for you in your leadership? I've got a fantastic life, professionally and personally. Um, and I think it's, it's a function of trying to consistently do the right thing as I understand it. I think it's a function of trying to build authentic, um, caring relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a function of, of being an optimist. Like I always, you know, I know people will disappoint now mm -hmm. and then. I will disappoint others now and then. But for the most part, mm -hmm. I expect things to work out mm -hmm. if we're bringing the right kind of energy mm -hmm. and spirit to the, our engagement. And that's been my experience. 
Yeah, I think one of the things I was so drawn to you is you and I, I think, both suffer from endless optimism. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's a good thing these days, particular as we're trying to make sense of so many things. I'm always fascinated with how things seem to work themselves out. And who wants to follow a leader who doesn't think you can do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so now to close, let's return to the question I asked Deshaun about the dark noise. Even as the economy is booming right now from multiple stimulus packages, we continue to hear in the voices of employees a steady drumbeat of the dark noise. It's that negative, polarized dialogue in all channels of media that are really hard to avoid. We've all experienced tension in social settings and even in the workplace when people express strong, pointed opinions on opposite sides of the spectrum. It's exhausting. Our prediction at Good Leadership is that the dark noise will actually get worse as the weather begins to move people indoors, particularly this year. We have to embrace this fact that as employees, people in our community are losing trust in big business, government, organized religion, and the media. They're expecting to find more goodness in their workplace, whether that workplace is at the office or from home. As leaders, we need to make sure that the people who make up our teams are feeling like they're winning together and that they're thriving together both personally and professionally. Because goodness is when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. Anyone can work longer and harder to hit their goals. We saw in the data today shared that leaders actually want to hit their goals easier. So, over the next few months, if we expect to keep our best people engaged, we need to keep the teamwork positive. And we need to radiate goodness every day. If you want help finding that goodness in your team, reach out to me and we'll find a way to help. Because goodness pays when goodness grows and good leadership is a team sport. We really appreciate your support and encouragement to keep this program going. For information about executive team coaching programs of good leadership, visit goodleadership.com. The next Good Leadership Breakfast is at 9 a.m. Central Time on Friday, October 22nd, when our speaker will be Terry Rasmussen, President and CEO of Thrivent. You can register for free at goodleadership.com and we'll record another one of these podcasts then. Goodbye for now. <laughs>